All right. We are in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. Ephesians 4, 17 to 32. Ephesians 4, 17 to 32 says this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the heart, their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the reminder from your word that we have changed in Jesus, that he has begun an inward renewal of who we are. May we walk in that this day. May we, may we put off the old self and walk in the new that you have gifted us in your son, Jesus, that you have grace to us through him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> I was thinking about uh, this old phrase, uh, out with the old and in with the new, and so I've used it here as my uh, markers for this text, Uh, but it got me thinking about things that were old to me once and then things that became new, and naturally uh, I thought about my old cars. And so I thought this morning I'd share some of my old cars with you. Um, This is my first car. Brand new car. Please take note of the of the bumper tags. In case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. I don't necessarily hold to that uh, view of Revelation anymore, but um, but it is one view of Revelation that's possible. Um, so this was my first car, Jeep. Loved this Jeep. Wish I still had this Jeep, but unfortunately, this happened to this Jeep. The what? No, I, those jorts are pretty nice. Those are pretty nice jorts right there. Uh, out with the old, in with the new. <laughs> um, 
And this is what happened to the Jeep. It got ran into by a Jaguar and, uh, and got totaled. And there I am, sad now with bleach tips and a bright yellow shirt. Now cargo pants instead. Um, and got my real, real men love Jesus bumper tag. Um, I exchanged this old, awesome car. It was old to me. And, and this became my new car, a Honda Passport. Loved that car too. Very good car. It's a whole lot of Jesus sticker. I really, I want to bring back my Jesus sticker. I want to put it on the back of, of our Ford. Um, <laughs> that's right. Put it on the hood like a fiber. Yeah. No. Uh, so moved to Honda Passport. You know that feeling, you know, when you get a new car, even if it's old to you, it's just like, yeah, you know, I'm ready to test this thing out. Um, moved from that car to my Honda Civic, which I still have today. Got this old car at 60,000 miles. I have 190,000 on it now. Um, it's been a long way with us. And, and finally, finally the Ford Freestyle rocking it out right before Hurricane Irma. As you can see the boards on the windows and everywhere. Um, out with the old, in with the new. We, we experience this a lot of times when something has worn out. We get something new and, and put it on and and really, that's the, that's the phrase, that's the, the, the thing that Paul is trying to convey to the Ephesians is that, that you had something old, and it's been replaced by something new and something better. You had something old, and now walk in this new life that's been given to you. Drive this sweet Honda Civic until it dies, you know? Um, no, but you know that phrase, and you know that feeling of, of getting something new. And the truth is that God has a new way of living for us, and, uh, for us to, to walk in. And we need to be reminded of that as believers, that he's given us something new to walk in, uh, something that's different from the old way of humanity's life. Um, life has an old, uh, humanity has an old way of walking through life, and uh, as you're reminded of what great a truth of it is that Jesus has come and has saved you for eternal hope, you have to remind yourself that this life I've been given is in complete contrast to the way the world, the entire world thinks. And, and it's a, a new life that we, we ought to walk in and remind ourselves of and remind one another of. And so that's what we're going to see today is that um, God has given us a new way of living and in that new way of living, we have to give up our old ways because they cling to us and they try and pull us back in uh, and, and walk in the new ways. Be renewed from the inside out, as we'll see the passage shows us, that there's an inward renewal that obtains an outward expression from us. So Paul here throughout the passage starts by reminding the Ephesians of their old way. And it's important, it's really important to emphasize this uh, because the words he uses are very strong, actually, uh, for the Gentiles or the, the pagan, uh, pagans at the time. Um, and Paul here is using very stark language, but he is truly reminding them that this is what you once were. So, you know, we have to have some grace as we say these words and talk about the futility of thinking and the, dis, uh, the hardened hearts and uh, callous attitude of the Gentiles or the pagans because, as Paul has stated throughout Ephesians already, you once were. Be reminded of that. But it's also important for us to 
clearly step away from that old life and walk in the new life that God has prepared for us. So first, Paul talks about um, out with the old, the, the old way of living. And this is how he puts it in uh, 17 to 22. Hear the language again. Now this I say to you and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. I'll be honest, I really struggled with that um, because I feel like when I read the word Gentile, I think of anybody that is not a Jew. Um, and really the context here is anyone that in, in Ephesians that was practicing a pagan way of life. Um, but still, I, I struggled with this a bit because I know so many people who aren't believers who are trying you know, to figure out life and trying to, uh, you know, do life in a, a right manner or a good manner in some way. And so it's hard for me to see this, uh, to, to say such a strong word of futility of their minds. But the truth is, when you have come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and come to know him as the one who provides to you righteousness and holiness, you see that you too once walked in a way of thinking that truly is futile and truly is broken and truly does not make us whole. And so though they are stark uh, words, um, they are God's word. There's a futile way of thinking that we have to give up, that we have to walk away from. Um, I think we can all demonstrate this in our lives, that there is futility in our human, natural human way of thinking. Uh, has anyone ever prepared a schedule for their week, like in advance, like looked at the week and said, Monday I'm doing this, Tuesday I'm doing this, Wednesday I'm doing this, Thursday. Anybody ever done that? Yeah. Okay, how many times has it worked for you? Never, probably. <laughs> uh, may, maybe generally, maybe, you know, generally you ha- your appointments happened the way you thought you, they were going to happen. Uh, but the truth is, you have an ideal in your mind as to how this week in particular is going to go. Trust me when I say to you, it's not going to go that way. <laughs> Something's going to come up and it, it's, it's going to change what your ideal week was supposed to look like. Your ideal day was supposed to look like a lot of our frustration in life comes from not being able to meet our very own expectations of life itself. We constantly fall short of even our own ideals. And the reason that Paul can say that uh, the Gentiles are walking in a way that is futile of mind is that for most of the world who hasn't placed their faith in an eternal hope that's been provided for them, I mean, grace that pours out as a result of that, walk in that way of thinking for their entire lives. Not just like the week they're planning, but their lives are planned this way and they think they're in control. They think that they've, like, they're the master of their destiny and they've got it all under control. It's just not true. <laughs> As well as you live your life, you will not meet the ideal, the standard that is set for you. You can't even meet the standard that you set for yourself, let alone a standard that might be beyond you. It's futile. Uh, 
this futility has come because uh, really of what verse 18 walks into, which is the hardening of our hearts. Um, It says, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. What is he getting at here? He's getting at they have left God at the door. They've, they've left him behind. He, he's not even a part of the picture anymore, and it's all about me and, and, and my control of my world and how I am going to go about this life. I was reading about um, the new, 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 new age, or I don't know how many news they put in front of it, but it was ridiculous. Um, and they were talking about how you can hack your brain for $5,000. It's an article in the New York Times. And uh, it's this retreat, basically, that this man has come up with. And the goal of this retreat is to, by physical and mental activity, uh, increase the release of six or seven different chemicals in your brain to give you a, a, a to get you in the flow it's a psychological term, to get you in the flow or in the zone, in hyper-focus throughout your life. The release of things like dopamine and serotonin and, and these sort of chemicals that are innate in our bodies uh, that through certain activity you can sort of stimulate. And his whole conference is, is about controlling the chemicals within your body to release appropriately so that you have a constant happiness in life. <laughs> I found this fascinating because the guy gets six-digit figures to go speak at, like, U.S. Navy, special ops stuff, and, and uh, he's $5,000 a weekend for these events that he's putting on, like, crazy money to share this information. And has claimed it as his own. And the amazing thing here is that really what he's done is observe what God put in you. <laughs> he's capitalizing on what God has put in you. The fact is that uh, these movements and activities do, in fact, release chemicals into our body that create a state of increased happiness. And that's all, that's scientific and true. It's true. But guess what? Our creator put it there. And most of the things, uh, the irony is that most of the things that were placed there by our creator are accessed by activities which our creator has revealed to us are good. Exercise is good for you, turns out. Intimacy is good for you. Relationships are good for you. Seeing other people and embracing and, and saying hi, and have, those things are good for you. I mean, it's shocking, right? Our hearts are darkened because we've left God at the door and have said that the value of life is in the experience of it alone. I listened to one guy who was reflecting on this ideology, and he said he was speaking about how there is intrinsic value in everything that he creates, and the things that he creates have intrinsic value. Just like, you know, if I were to take that attitude, I'd say, well, I have given this table intrinsic value because I made it. It came from me. (laughs) How sad is that? Where do you think value came from? Where do you think the ability to create value came from? It came from someone who gave you value. Is it good to make a table? Is it good to make, uh, you know, things that are good for our life? Yes, it is. But let's recognize who gave us that ability. Our hearts are darkened when we find life's value in what we are doing rather in what, 
rather than in what God has enabled us to do, what God has provided for us to do. And so our hearts are darkened because we've alienated ourselves from God. We've separated ourselves from him. The sad part about this is it gets worse, really. Verse 19, uh, he, Paul describes that they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. You see, this new perspective of, of trying to gain a, a happy experience in life um, isn't really concerned about the morality of the activities over the course of that life. It's simply concerned with releasing the correct chemicals into your brain and making you feel good about your life. There's no recognition of relational boundary here. It's just do what feels right. It's as simple as that. Life has become about doing whatever uh, makes me feel happy regardless of its moral implication. It's callous. It's a disregard for relationships that God has set up for us to have. So Paul says this to the Ephesians, and he says this to them because this is how they once lived. Like feeding their flesh and and building themselves up in a happy experience of life. And Paul says, this is not how Christ taught you to live. That's not the way you learn Christ, verse 20. Emphatically, he says, assuming you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner and is corrupt through its deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. See, outside of Jesus, we either live according to a standard that we have created, which we cannot fulfill, or we attempt to achieve an unattainable standard through our own works and effort. This happens in, in Christianity even, right? This is a pitfall of Christianity at times, is that we set up a moral standard that we are supposed to attain to, what it's like to be a Christian. You have to dress this way, you have to walk this way, and if you do these things, and you have to read your Bible seven times a week, and you have to do the, you know, they have to check out, check off the gold star chart, and that that is what salvation is. And it's not. If it, if it becomes about achieving an un, unattainable standard of of perfection through your works, then we've missed it regardless of what we call it. Outside of the grace of Jesus in our life, we're striving after an ideal that we cannot fulfill. And it's futile. But in Christ, the the new self that he has given to us, that he has imparted upon us, is an ideal that has been achieved on our behalf. It's totally different than saying, I have to be this way if I'm a Christian. It's, no, Christ has made me this way, and now this is how I walk in response to him. The only work left 
is not to earn the ideal uh, life experience that we ought to have, but rather be continually reminded of the grace of Jesus that's poured out upon us every single day, every single moment. Paul moves on to remind the Ephesians of what Jesus' teaching really was. And that's an inward renewal with an outward expression. Verses 23 and 24 again. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You don't have to live up to some standard. It has been purchased for you by the blood of Jesus. You, you, don't, you, have, you're, you don't have an ability to make yourself righteous. You don't have an ability to set yourself aside as holy. God has done that on your behalf through the work of Christ Jesus. Putting on the new self is, is a renewal of our thinking, a, a renewal of the spirit of our minds is what Paul calls it. And so we have to really grasp the information that's been revealed to us by God's word and by his church and say, Jesus has come and taken on all my sin and all my imperfections in the ideal week that I have. It might be a great week that I've set up ahead of myself. I'm going to fail that, but God's grace is all over it. And I can walk in that. This isn't to say cast aside all planning and purpose and, and, uh, and, and even ideals that you're setting out to go about. It's, it's that your identity is not found in achieving those things. Your identity is found in the grace of Jesus that flows over you in spite your level of achievement. We have to be renewed in the spirit of our minds to know that Christ has won the battle for us regardless of how good or bad the fight goes. Our relationship with Jesus renews the spirit of our mind and that renewal comes from a disciplined, uh, from a disciplined conforming of our mind to the mind of Christ. Paul, in the rest of the passage, goes through a huge list of things that flow from a renewal of your mind. Um, it, it really puts a lot there for us to chew on and think about and, and really apply. And probably, you know, not all of these things hit you, but one of them probably will because he's got a great list of things for us to work on here as a result of the renewing of the mind that happens through Christ. And, and the truth is that some of these things you might struggle with, some of these things you might not, and some of the things you might need to work on, some of the things you might necessarily, not necessarily. But, God, but Paul shows us what is the outward expression? What does it look like when your mind begins to be renewed by Christ? Something does change. Like you change, you transform, not by the ideal you set for yourself, but by the renewing of the spirit within you, changing your mindset about what life is to be about. You find a purpose. I like. I was listening to a, a podcast this week by Andy Stanley, and he was talking about complexity of purpose as his topic. And the thing he said was, I can't have meaning in life as long as it's all about me. 
can't have meaning in life as long as it's all about me. And so what we see in the rest of this passage is really that teaching that it's not all about you. If you're looking for what God's purpose for your life is, it's not going to be about your, uh, the happiness of your life experience, achieving a certain level. It's not going to be about you finding the flow and getting in the zone for the rest of your life. You know, it's not about that. It's about your life counting for something beyond yourself. It has an outward expression, and that outward expression is, uh, is lived out not just personally, because we've sort of covered that already. There's an inward personal renewal. It results in holiness and righteousness. And so, yes, you walk in a new way, and, and your, mor- your morals may even change. Your way of thinking may even change. Your approach to life might change in, in personally. But what results is that your interactions with others, the outward expression of your life to those around you, to the church first and to the world beyond that, also changes. There's an outward expression of this new life within. All right, so what are some of the things that come out when Jesus comes in? That, was pretty, I, I, that, was, that just happened right there. It's a good preacher word, right? Okay. Write that one down. Tweet it. Um, I can't even say it again because I don't have it written down. Um, what are some things that, that come out once you put Jesus in? There you go. Um, first, this. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Put away falsehood. Speak the truth in love to one another, for we are members one of another. This uh, members one of another and this, uh, this, this language of neighbor um, comes from a language, actually an Old Testament language of uh, we are covenanted people. We are people in covenant with each other. And so Paul is saying to the Ephesians, speak the truth in love to one another. Why? Because you are members one of another. There is no uh, Lone Ranger Christian out there living it correctly. If you're a Lone Ranger Christian, you're not living it correctly. I promise you. If you think it's just about achieving happiness through the right application of Christian teaching, then that right application results in you having an outward expression toward the body of Christ. Speak the truth in love to one another. We're members of each other. Put away falsehood and speak the truth in love. Second, he says, um, verse 26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. What is he saying here? Put away grudges and deal with your anger. Does he say you can never be angry? No, he doesn't say that. He almost assumes that you will be angry and that when you're angry, you need to deal with that somehow. Now, there's two ways you can deal with that. 
The first way is that the person you are angry with, you can go to and say, I'm angry about X, Y, or Z. Speaking the truth in love, genuinely trying to resolve the situation and reconcile, you seek that person out and resolve it as soon as possible. It's one way. The second way is that sometimes that's not feasible. Sometimes you don't have the words. Sometimes you don't have the courage. Sometimes you're not at a place where you feel like you can do that. Second thing that you can do is give it to the Lord before you go to sleep. Seriously, like give it to God to resolve. Okay, it's not uh, just a, an excuse or an escape route. Like there, there, there is a real importance of us in our hearts before we go to sleep. If you've got anger toward one of your brothers or sisters, lay it down before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm angry about this. This is yours to resolve. I forgive this person in my heart. I know that this was my way of walking and that I have angered people in my life. And so I lay this down before you. And Lord, resolve it as you will, please. It's important. Paul says, do this. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Truth is, when you let the sun go down on your anger, you wake up, you're still angry. And, and probably worse because it's just set into you overnight. And so you have to deal with it. You, it. Cast away the grudges of your past and former life and walk in dealing with your anger. Paul says this is very important because we don't want to give an opportunity to the devil. When there is anger and resentment between the body of Christ, It's exactly what the devil wants to do. He might not be able to steal your soul because you have been been, uh, grafted in and you have a future hope and that is set in stone. But the second thing he loves to do is divide the effectiveness of the body of Christ by creating anger. And so Paul says, deal with your anger. Either reconcile or lay it before the Lord. Next, he says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Paul says, there are some whose former way of living was actually stealing from others in order to uh, move forward. He says, let them stop doing that and work honestly not to just provide for themselves because when you're stealing, you're generally just providing for yourself, but rather that your work would be beneficial to others. We find purpose in our life and our work when we begin to work beyond ourselves. I mean, truthfully, in work, it is vital for us to find something purposeful beyond the work. Sometimes we get to enjoy our work and that's a grace from God and I am happy that we get to enjoy our work sometimes. But work is called work for a reason, okay? And God has given you a purpose for your work that is beyond just your working. He has given you uh, an ability to have an income to support both your family, your church, those who are need around you. He's given you a purpose in that for the kingdom to advance through the blessing that he has blessed you with. Put away greed and work to share with those in need. 
Next. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Corrupting talk is basically defined as vulgarity. Um, this is where, like, cuss words come out. Know, like, this is speaking against cuss words. Um, and what he's saying here is that there's a vulgar nature to some of our talk. A lot of that is why we have cuss words, okay? A lot of cuss words, you know, this sounds very religious, and um, just going to be completely honest, I'm guilty of saying cuss words too. And, um, it, but the truth is, if you reflect on those words, all of them have a vulgarity to them that is beyond just dagnabbit, you know? Like, anyway, Paul says, put away this corrupting talk. Put away vulgar talk. Why does he say that? He says, rather build each other up with your talk. If you're going to say something, say something that will build others up. Why why do that? Why worry about that? Why be concerned about the language that we're using? Because the fact is, when you're using language, there are others around you that hear your language. Paul says, it may be a grace to those who hear. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up of those around you. As fits the occasion that it may be a grace to those who hear. The example I think of here is um, like when you're in a restaurant, right? And you're at a table and you're talking about something. Truth is, you know, again, you can debate about the words you're using or whatever, but the words you're using are heard by someone around you. The conversation that you're having isn't just heard by you alone. It's heard by those surrounding you. So, Use words, even among yourselves, even if you don't have a conviction about the type of words you're using, be cognizant of the fact that your words aren't just heard in the conversations you're having with someone else. They're heard by those around you as well. So let our talk be talk that is building up. Talk that might, might be a grace to those who hear, whether the person you're talking to or whether the person around you. That may be a grace to those who hear it. Put away vulgarity and rather build each other up. Paul finally says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He says, put away all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice. Put away these things, these things you once walked in, these things that you might still have a tendency toward. Bitterness, being unforgiving toward those around you. Wrath, deciding to be the giver of retribution to those who do wrong to you. Anger, having hate towards your brother or sister for whatever reason. Clamor, shouting at someone because